Hello, everyone. <laughs> this is the Three Masons podcast. I'm your occasional host, Cindy, and we have an episode for you guys today. Um, that was a lovely little intro. I'm sure if you don't know what this is, where have you been? <laughs> where have you been? <laughs> like, clearly, I think no matter where you've heard it from, you've definitely heard it before. It's definitely one of the most iconic pieces of classical music. That was Mozart's Lacrimosa from his Requiem, of course. Um, Top tier music and very fitting for this episode. Yes. Um, Again, as we mentioned in the first Exhume the Tomb episode, this is going to be a series where we want to uncover the past, the mysterious death of (laughs) Uncover (laughs) uncover the bones and exhume the tomb of many historical figures. And we wanted to do another one for quite a while. So, are you like the podcast bone kickers? Um, no, the, uh, we, we, no, we do not name we do not name that show, but I feel like we'll be much more um, efficient and uh, less careless. Yes. yes, sorry for the niche reference, just in case you didn't know what that is. But anyhow, um, we didn't do an episode for a long time because honestly, I'm going to be honest, I was quite drained from the first episode because it took a while for me to compile the evidence and I still feel like I did it very badly and so this time I wanted to compile it in a way that I would be able to understand it better when I wrote it and that would translate better for the audience so I'm you know the title but whose tomb are we exhuming today Mozart's tomb Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's tomb I mean, who, is there any other... There is no other... Most. I mean, he did have kids. In our heads, there's no, there's no kids. There's no children. It's just Mozart. But yes, we're going to be exhuming the tomb, metaphorically, of course, of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Now, if- although, although you could interpret this as us silently pleading people, can you actually exhume the tomb for us? This could be like, you know... If you're, you're bringing forward an idea. Definitely for the Richard Third one, this, this is supposed to be a catalyst for people to become more interested in the fact that some tombs need to be exhumed. <laughs> um, <laughs> most people don't want to exhume tombs, but it is important. One of the biggest issues with Mozart, though, is... Uh, we'll should, we, into, should we get into that? No, wait, we'll we'll get into that later. Into Let's introduce who is Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Mozart, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, born in 1756, was an Austrian composer in the 18th century. Um, he's like one of the most known composers as hell, that is one of the greatest composers of all time, um, and he still has many known pieces. Would you say, <laughs> I'm going to regret saying this, would you say, <laughs> would you say that he is the Michael Jackson of the music? <laughs> Actually, no, I'll cut it out, cut it out. I'm done, I'm done. I'm not, okay. not going to be there. He still have many known pieces. Uh, so just... I read that post that was comparing Michael Jackson's thriller to one of Mozart's pieces in the Requiem. Never mind. Uh, anyhow, he has still many known pieces, like Eine kleine Nachmusik, which I'm sure you heard. Um, his symphony number 40, which is actually the ringtone of our home phone right now. And also his Requiem, which is going to be quite relevant in this episode. So to, in order for us to know why we should exhume the tomb, we need to understand the circumstances around his death. Which is obviously a very important aspect when we're talking about exhuming the tomb, because oftentimes 
the reason why we want the tombs to be exhumed is because there are so many details that are missing, which is what we're going to get into. There are two main narratives of the death of Mozart. One is what I'm going to be calling the Constanza narrative. And there, the reason why I'm calling it the Constanza narrative is because this is the narrative, the version pushed by his wife, and soon-to-be widow. <laughs> um, that sounds rude. I'm not trying to be rude, but she lives on quite a few years after him. And his sister-in-law, or Constanza's sister, um, Sophie Weber. Um, it's strange to think that the same family would have somewhat if you're going to categorize them into different theories, that there would be two different theories in the same family. No, the Constanza and the and the Sophie narrative usually are combined into one narrative. Um, All right. And um, because they're making money off of this together. But that's going to come in, that's going to come in later. And then after what I called, I'm calling the revisionist version, which is the one that more modern scholars, modern historians are trying to push forward to be more historically accurate, you know, which is something that historians like to do, unless, of course, they're uh, David C.F. Wright, but you would have to, um, you, you would have to have watched our 10th episode to understand that reference. Watched. Listened. 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 Big English. Okay, so the Constanza narrative is the narrative that Constanza Constance, his wife, is going to be pushing after Mozart dies in on December fifth, seventeen ninety one. I was getting a little bit emotional right now. A very emotional day for this family. We do make sure that every December fifth that we mention that this is a quite important day. Uh, is, is that why you made that soup last time? No, the soup was for his birthday. Oh, all right, all right. Why would I be? That kind of gives celebratory energy. <laughs> and yeah, let's eat his favorite soup for his death anniversary. Anyhow, according to the Constanza narrative, when Mozart arrived in Prague in 1791 um, to supervise the performance of his new opera, he was already very ill, according to Constanza. And during this visit, um, one of the people who is involved in the narrative, I do not know how to pronounce his name. We're going to call him Shek. Um, Shek. That's the last part of his name. So we're going to be calling him Shek. Um, he wrote that he was pale and ex- his expression was sad, although his good humor was always often shown in merry jest with his friends. End of quote. So... According to Constance and Sheck, he is already quite ill at this point. And when he returns to Vienna in mid-September, according to Constance, his condition started to worsen. And he was still able to work. He worked on his clarinet concerto and was trying to finish his requiem and um, conducted a performance of the magic flute. Um, so, but he still is starting to become alarmed about his health, concerned about his health. And according to this anecdote, this anecdote from Constance that, know the is, one. that is related by Sheck, quote, on his return to Vienna, he became gloomily depressed. His wife was distressed over this. One day when she was driving in a public park with him to give him a little distraction and amusement and they were sitting by himself, Mozart began to speak of death and declared that he was writing the requiem for himself. He started tearing up saying, I feel definitely that I will not last much longer. I'm sure I have been poisoned. I cannot rid myself of this idea. End of quote. 
um, which I think might be a tale that many of us have heard, I think. Or is that just within the classical music sphere? No, I think it's usually like considered as part of his like his death, like the, the moments before his death, usually in film and cinema and yada yada yi. That you know, like before his death, you know, things started happening. He's just like, I think I'm dying. I think I've been poisoned. I I I I I, I don't think I can last much longer. I'm so sick. Um, sick <laughs> <laughs> is like that <laughs> because usually at this point he's supposed to like he's getting pretty ill according to the Constanza narrative, of course. Although I think we can all agree that this anecdote is a little bit extra. I do feel like it It could... It's probably not real. It's most likely fake. This is important later on. Apparently, Constanza tries to um, cheer up her husband by persuading him to stop writing the Requiem and focus on another... to completing another work instead. And apparently, this worked for some time. And he... Um, finished the piece that Constanza told him to work on and had it premiered on the 18th of November. Um, and he was apparently elated by the performance. Um, and he's reported to have said, quote, Yes, I see I was ill to have such an absurd idea of having taken poison. Give me back the requiem and I will go with it. That, the, I have to say, the... I don't know the, the, how specific it is. Mm. It, it gets the same energy, and this is kind of an inside joke in the family. You know when you hear like reports where it's just like, you know, Meghan Markle and Kate Middleton are fighting, and they have like direct quotes almost, <laughs> as, if, almost as if they've been like recording them. I always find that a little bit suspicious when it's not like when it doesn't seem like it's paraphrased. You know, like these are his exact words yeah. that he said. Um, but unfortunately, two days after the premiere, his he starts his symptoms start to return again, and he starts getting sick again, um, and he starts to again think that he has been poisoned, um, and then after he becomes bedridden, and he suffers from swelling and pain and vomiting, and most scholars agree that by this point, Mozart is legitimately very sick, and he ends up dying two weeks later on the fifth of December. <laughs> big oof and um he he dies and this is important he's buried in an unmarked grave an unmarked mass grave which was common in vienna because back then of course there'd be quite a lot of um let's say diseases epidemics that would happen and so they kind of just dumped all the bodies you know just like let's make sure we, nothing no disease comes from this body <laughs> another interesting thing to note is that constance claims that there was a mysterious messenger that came with commission for a requiem to mozart but the messenger refused to identify who commissioned this requiem this will become important later on so this is the constance narrative and this is the narrative that most biographers will be using um for their biographies of Mozart. And then we have the revisionist view. Can I just quickly sum it up the the, the juicy mythos of the, of this Constanza mm. version? I think because of how it's constructed almost like a narrative, it seems very, you know, it's very like the, the the like eeriness of him being like, oh my goodness, I think I'm writing this Mercurium for myself. I think I'm gonna die. You and know that, it, that brief moment of like actually it's no big deal. And then all of a sudden boom like 
like it, it hits them again it's very it's very like a, you know a compelling narrative yeah. if you will so that's most likely why like especially in movies that's most likely i love how the, i love how keep on movies when we all know that we're talking about one specific movie <laughs> that one specific movie that everybody knows yeah this thing that's so i think there's a reason why that's the most paraded version of his death um it's been the idea that Mozart was was in like a decline, and was like despairing. Uh, is the during the his last several months has been met with some skepticism over the years, and a musicologist called Cliff Eisen um, also expressed some sharp criticism. And he said that other than the exception of Mozart's letter, with where he talks about being sick, most of the testimony is posthumous. And he says that it might have been prompted by financial and personal motives. And it is important to know that Constance was making money off of all the Mozartian hype. hype that was going on after his death. She was the one that was doing a lot of charity performances charity for herself um being like oh no i'm poor widow please give me money and then people just go well we love your husband and so they were attending a lot of these performances and of course a more dramatic narrative might be suitable to give more money instead of yeah my husband got sick that one time oops if it's if it's like oh he was I had this grave illness that was following him, thing to just this random person that wanted to commission a requiem, you know, mm-hmm. it makes it seem like oh this is, this is like hype. What happened to her poor husband? You know, I think that's also why most of the time posthumous accounts are always like eh, because you know you weren't there, and especially if it's like you know not one or two years after they died, but like several years after the person has died, and all of a sudden they're coming up with these stories. You know, it seems very like. Yikes! And here in this instance, where it's, it's pretty much right after his death, and all of a sudden there's all this this coin popping up, you know, it, it can be it can seem a bit suspicious, especially considering the very dramatic narrative that's being constructed here. Um, in um a biography article of the Cambridge Mozart Encyclopedia, author Ruth Halliwell writes of the decline and despair account. Quote, while later sources describe Mozart as working feverishly on his requiem, filled with premonitions of his own death, these accounts are hard to reconcile with the high spirits of his letters from most of November. Constance's earliest account states that Mozart told her of his wish to try his hand at this type of composition, the more so as the higher forms of church music had always appealed to his genius. And there is no hint that from this point that there is that the work was any burden to him. Um, so it doesn't seem like he's just, oh, I, I feel like I'm writing this for I himself. Know, I know this piece giving me the EBGBs. I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, it's only much later that when Constance starts, you know, making money off this, that this um, narrative comes to play. One person might say, like a counter argument, perhaps, because you said this, these are letters from what, November? Mm-hmm. Some people might say, well, it's not that close to December. Like, is it, there's I, a big gap. So people could say. The, in the Constanza narrative, they say that he starts getting sick in November, like seriously ill in November. Ah. So it doesn't really match up with how he seems to be writing about his November, um, um, of course, um, until his death. 
And so these are the two main narratives that there that Mozart did was indeed sick, but that was not as dramatic as Constant's narrative. But these are supposed to be the things that surround Mozart's death before he eventually dies of a mysterious illness. And this is where part two comes in, his cause of death. Now it is important to know that there have been many and I mean many, 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 way too many, way too many about it. There are so many conspiracy theories from the moment that his death was announced that it's really hard to kind of be like, oh, well, this is what he died of, or this is what he died of. And honestly, when I was looking for theories that I wanted to put into this, I was honestly kind of lost because you will see so many different theories. And it's almost like it's almost like there's a whole wave. Everyone has their own opinion of what has happened. I think it's because, to be honest, when you when we gonna start looking at the details, it is a bit fuzzy. So you know, even at the time when the the details are not clear, fresh off, fresh, I'm, I'm gonna phrase that differently. You know, when right after his death, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna. <laughs> sounds slightly positive, and that because given of the fact that the details which we're going to get into are strange. You know, it's something that we still do today when somebody dies and we're not exactly sure. Everybody's coming up with their own theory as to why it happens. So humans are still humans, you know? I think it's good. I've narrowed it down to five theories, and I think it's good that we start on the one that you most probably have heard of. And that oh, is no. What, and that is what I'm calling the Salieri theory. Abby seems, <laughs> Abby seems to be a cringing slightly. I, I've heard this many times before, and it causes people, the Mozartian fans, to really... Okay. We'll, what, let's I, first... I, I, would say the, I would say, like, kind of like the fetus ones, to really hate Salieri. It, yeah, it's a cause of... Um, should I say conflict? Probably. I think that's a good word. So right after Mozart's death, there are already rumors of him being poisoned. Most of this, of course, heralded by the great Constanz. Um, and so there are a lot of theories about him possibly being poisoned. But the one that caught on very quickly, and you'll understand why later, was that the Italian composer Antonio Salieri had poisoned Mozart out of jealousy because Mozart was so much more successful and so much more of a better of a better composer. The <laughs> way that Iris just shook her head. <laughs> that he was so much of a of, of a better composer than Salieri and this caused so much conflict within Salieri that he just had to take it out on on him and that he poisoned him he poisoned his drink while he was invited over at Mozart's house and just went (laughs) (laughs) and lo and behold he became sick girly listen I didn't review any of the facts but as far as I know I think Salieri was pretty respected during his time why are you saying with that attitude (laughs) it is a complete myth myth and this is going to kind of the myth almost kind of confirms itself it's hard to explain so the myth was that um and it's usually it's within a lot of plays and so on and so forth after Mozart's death that Salieri was just really like he was unpopular at his time and no one really cared for his existence and he was just a boring stupid composer and everyone loved Mozart and everyone just cherished Mozart's existence and Salieri was really angry about this but the truth is 
that that's not true. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, Salieri was very successful in his time. He was very respected in his time. Um, he actually mentored a lot of famous composers that you might know of. Um, and so it is it is false that the idea that Salieri was just brooding because he was so unpopular and his hits never went on the charts on the Billboard Top 100. And he's like, <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> so that is wrong. Um, and it's important to know that the symptoms of Mozart's um, death do not match poisoning. Not to mention, this doesn't even match the Constanza narrative, which is that he started becoming sick in August in Prague because it doesn't seem that Salieri was in Prague at the time. So it doesn't make sense that he would have poisoned Mozart in Prague. Also, what kind of poison is taking that? Are you, are you adding doses? Or like that one that one poison that's just really slow and, slow, and at, yeah. that's slowly eating up at this man's body. I find it very... Mm, unlikely that's a very specific poison i don't think most poisons work that way yeah. then again i'm i'm not an expert at that but but salieri is not a chemist i don't imagine that he would have known this this secret poison that just kills people softly i don't know about that chief um and of course the symptoms did not match however that didn't matter to people and the theory caught on very quickly and of know why (laughs) (laughs) Salieri of course vehemently denied these rumors um but he was greatly affected by the rumors and this and this contributed to a lot of his nervous breakdowns that happened later on in his life which Mm. (laughs) and many believed that Salieri was the mistake a mysterious commissioner who commissioned the Requiem according to Constance and that he wanted to take credit for the Requiem by killing Mozart and then taking the Requiem for himself and then releasing it to the public. Um, It's juicy, but it's not true. (laughs) It is important to understand that these theories are very xenophobic in nature and that they are, at the time, many Austrians kind of identified as Germans, which that would not fly today, um, but they saw themselves as German and that the Italians were um, infiltrating um, Austria and were trying to, to and, and that, that Italian opera in particular, which was a lot of Salieri's pieces were opera, um, that Italian opera were, was eclipsing the, the wonderful German art. There's a, there's a sense of nationalism yeah, in it. Like the sort of like you're no, you're taking away the good German art. Like imagine if if we're gonna try and put it in today's context, um, with I don't know K-pop. Imagine if people in America are like, oh my goodness, K-pop is completely taking over the charts. People mm-hmm. are starting to sing in Korean. Like they're they're taking away the American music. Think of basically that. That was what was going on at the time. And it's important to know that after Mozart had died, he was seen as the quintessential German opera composer, and he was one of the the, the great the greatest. You know, and they were the the, the, the gigantimous brains. Yeah, he was one of the big, the big German brain dudes at the time, and Salieri was seen as the most, one of the most popular Italian composers. So they're basically pitting two baddie bees against each other and using their their their, their nationality as a as a as a source of, you know, like he well, of course, well, the the evil Italians would have tried to to kill our wonderful German composer. <laughs> um, so even though there's most people most 
scientists, historians, scholars do not think that this that Salieri had poisoned Mozart. And I think we can all agree that that's probably not true. Why? Well, because they seem to be on quite good terms for the most part. Um, they weren't like best buds. And I feel that oftentimes I think Abby would agree with this and she's a Mozart stan. That it's either Salieri wants to stab Mozart 100 times or that they were like best friends. Like they were out here. Sleepovers. Yeah. Like they were out here doing. It it was kind of like, you know, they're professional. They were on good terms. And of course, they were both respected composers, especially Salieri. So there was no, there was no poison poison bait you know going on in that relationship is it well as at the same time no sleepovers and and you know yeah. we're sleeping in the same bed type do <laughs> <laughs> mm, you know how people be no, 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 those are the shippers on tumblr yeah we don't talk about them but yes this however is going to be the theory that seeps into um Popular culture. Yeah, it seeps into the popular culture, and for this, Salieri's legacy is kind of ruined. And the things that him, Salieri being seen as a as a as a composer not respected in his time, well, he kind of does become a disrespected composer as time goes on because of the conspiracy theories around him. And so his work was kind of went like underground for a long time. And I hate to give it to this particular film. There is a film called Amadeus that I'm sure you know of. And actually, despite... Ne- I would still say that they uh, portray Salieri incorrectly, but it did bring a lot of his pieces to the forefront since he's used in the soundtrack of the film. And this kind of made people realize, oh, he, he did... actually good. <laughs> that he actually did compose um, pieces, but you will still see if you go to the comment section of Salieri compositions that people are still like, Ugh, this is still such a bad composition, especially compared to Mozart. So there's still a lot of there, there's conditioning. Yeah, there's still a lot of um conditioning. Yeah, of in the culture, unfortunately for Salieri. And you know, as 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 we are human beings that tend to look for that juicy sweet meat, it's the it's the most compelling narrative. You know, you have a motive, you have an antagonist, yeah. you have the slow burn. Mm. Yeah. Like everything was kind of sorry. It's, per- it's perfect. It's perfect. Literally, like you make plays out of this. Yeah. Like it's a, per- it's a, it's a, per- and there was a play. It was mm. a perfect storm. But most scholars and scientists and historians disagree that they don't agree with this theory because just the whole thing of, of surrounding this. And this brings us to the what I call the disease and sickness theories. So these are the theories that most um, most scholars would find accurate or more historically accurate. And I'll divide this into quite a few. And first you have the fever slash flu theories. And what I mean by these are that these are usually um, sort of like airborne diseases, epidemics, so on and so forth, those sorts of diseases. In the parish register of the entry concerning Mozart's death, the the, the basically the legal document, it states that he died of severe millery fever. Yeah, I've heard that theory before. And millery is just a term of like mill. It refers to the appearance of uh, millet-sized bumps on the skin, and it does not specify what disease it is. So it's kind of like that's like saying he died of fever. I'm just like, Ugh. 
what fever you know like, it, like yeah like what's the fever a symptom of something else or what you know like it's very it's like a more of an umbrella term which shows that they did not know what Mozart's death was even at the time which isn't that surprising it's the 18th century I mean uh, let's just say they weren't as advanced as we are now that sounds so annoying we're also pompous like we're so better now we aren't well we are in certain ways but we aren't also in certain ways and it's also important to note that Mozart had suffered quite a few health issues um in his life which um in included smallpox when he was a oh, sorry my computer um which included smallpox um, during the during his childhood, rheumatic fever, which is like, can I just say every single 18th century dude has suffered from rheumatic fever, yeah, like smallpox. I know, like these are, but Beethoven also suffered from smallpox. Like I feel that this is almost like the stereotype disease, um, during the 18th century. Mozart had also suffered from, um, tonsillitis, bronchitis, pneumonia typhoid fever gum disease all the all the classic 18th century diseases possible his immune system <laughs> we, i don't know whether it's, i think it's a little bit of a shopper situation where you're not sure if you should say that it's strong or it's weak like you're so weak that you're strong like you've been through so many diseases but you survived all of them so in that way you're strong but also your immune system like you seem to catch a lot of diseases anyhow Many illnesses have been suggested from syphilis. Why, so why is that the go-to? Like, it, it got to be that syphilis. Now whenever I hear that, I, I will always go back. <laughs> yeah, if, again, I suggest you watch our 10th episode to understand this reference. But mercury, um, rheumatic fever, and infections from bloodletting have been um, um, suggested even, like... Um, I think it's called trichinosis from eating undercooked pork chops is also a theory. Um, his sister-in-law, Sophie Weber, um, recalled that Mozart's body was very swollen, so much that he was unable to turn in bed and had a high fever. That's very, very bad. Like, that's some severe sickness. One theory suggests that Mozart might have died of a mini-strep infection epidemic happening in Vienna at the time. Um, in the winter of 1791 to 1792, um, edema, edema, which is a, a strep infection, um, showed an increase um, in um, cases among younger men compared to the other years. And Mozart is 35 um, during this time, so he is quite young. Um, suggesting that there might have been a small epidemic of the infectious disease. And edema is also associated with kidney failure, and which was apparently, which could have been one of the symptoms that Mozart was having. Um, so the theory claims that he might have just had a strep infection, and he might have died of strep infection because 18th century. <laughs> you know what I mean? As in, like, there oftentimes the disease if people died of what we would kind of consider as like you would just go get antibiotics but m- reminder that antibiotics did not exist at the time so it's not surprising that he might have died of a simple strep infection however here's the thing about with these fever diseases uh, or the or these fever slash flu diseases as i'm calling them 
their symptoms are oftentimes extremely similar, which means that, yes, it could have been strep, but it could have been the flu. It could have been the coronavirus. <laughs> no, no, no. Most are predicted the coronavirus. No, the symptoms are definitely not the same. No, they're not the same. But it could have been any sort of airborne sickness at the time. The thing is that with these diseases, oftentimes one disease matches some of the symptoms, but yes. not all of the symptoms. That's exactly what I was going to say. That like a, a lot of times these theories are like, yeah, that's pretty convincing. And then you look back at the account, like he has some of the symptoms, but then he doesn't have the other symptoms that like it's it, characteristic of the, like, of the disease. Like he could, he could have swole, swollen vomiting might match one disease, but then he might have a, another symptom where he's just like, no, but that doesn't match this disease, which is has been a source of confusion for people trying to figure out. Like, what- yes, I finally figured it out. Let me go back to, let me go back to the, to the account. Oh no, there are like 300 other symptoms. Exactly, there's like many other contenders. Yeah. Another theory is what I'm going to be calling the medical malpractice theory. In 1991, a um, British physician and a pharmacologist um, said that Mozart was inadvertently poisoned by doctors administrating mercury as a as um, a antidote, which was used mercury. I mean, again, if you have seen 18th, 19th century people's deaths, mercury is most likely going to come up as one of the treatments. It was quite popular at the time for some reason. Mercury or maybe lead. Yeah, those oftentimes appear in the possibilities of death. And the side effects of using antimony or mercury match some of the symptoms that Mozart, again, some of the symptoms that Mozart had suffered in his last days, including fainting spells, swollen hands and feet, depression, uh, like extreme exhaustion, a pale face, and kidney damage. These are all the side effects in modern day medicine ads. <laughs> you, you know, you know when they list like a hundred side effects of like as, as um. And the ad is just like people dancing, people having fun, like and may even cause death. It's just kind of like, ugh. <laughs> but this is basically what the symptoms that he um um was having but a doctor peter j davies a australian physician um who's written quite a lot about mozart's ailments and his death um said that the antimony theory is not new and not tenable basically saying that it's not a new theory that people have theorized this before and also saying that it's not it's not really something that you could be like yeah that's the sickness that he suffered like i said his symptoms are very varied and many illnesses could be attached to to the symptoms that Mozart was suffering of. And this brings us to a, a another very interesting theory, which I think might be a little bit divisive. Uh, oh, dear. Is a, the lack of sunlight theory. Wait, what? Lack of sunlight can give you... Okay, I don't know. I don't know. Just go on with it. I, okay, this is interesting. In 2011, physicians Stephen Pills and physicist William B. Grant published a report called Vitamin D Deficiency Contributed to Mozart's Death. Uh, Contributed is not the same thing as caused. (laughs) Exactly, love, exactly. Um, And Pills and Grant explained that Mozart did much of his composing at night, 
which means that he would have slept most of the time during the day. And at the latitude of Vienna, which was at the 48th parallel north, if you remember doing um, geography. Spoiler alert, none of us do. Actually, I I don't think I really remember doing any geography, maybe because I... I'm just missing out or anything, but you don't remember? No, no, I don't remember doing geography. I rem- I'm like literally just like a few months ago. I was learning about the parallel. It was so boring. Anyhow, sorry. People, no. people right now being like, "How old are these?" <laughs> Never mind. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Um, but also, I'm sorry for all the people interested in geography for insulting um, geography. Anyhow, so they're saying that because of this, it would make it impossible for the for. Um, vitamin D um, irradiance for about six months in the year, saying that basically, since he was during this vitamin D crisis, that he died during this vitamin D crisis, they're suggesting that because of all the lack of vitamin D, it could have contributed to um, severe health issues that could have, um, basically lack of nutrients that could have made him susceptible. I'm going to say it straight up, Chief. <laughs> I think the theory is kind of dumb. As in, why are we making the assumption that he's asleep for most of the day? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, listen, if you know anything about this this fam, we do sleep quite late. And we do a lot of things at night. Yet at the same time, I still wake up and do things in the day. So I still have enough time to get sunlight. So I don't think, you can't assume that Mozart was asleep during the day and awake the whole night. And, it, and I'm not, I'm, I'm no doctor, but... I would argue that the symptoms that he's exhibiting, that he was exhibiting, seem very, very. I mean, I, I, maybe I don't know. Probably the vitamin D deficiency probably has a lot of really bad symptoms, but I think it's just the array, the particular array of symptoms that, for me, it, it don't sit right with me. It don't. Yeah. Sit right. I feel almost as if this is like a. A conclusion that yeah, it's possible, but yeah, it could also really not be possible. Like, you yeah, know, maybe he did have a vitamin D deficiency, but I don't think that's enough to. I mean, I don't know the symptoms of vitamin D deficiency mm-hmm. though, so that's just my opinion. But I feel like you could also say when he suffered from smallpox or from bronchitis in the past, that's what caused his death. Like, yeah, of course, like, health issues can culminate to somebody's death, but I don't think that's what, that's what he was sick with when he well, died. To, to give them credit, they did say that it could have been one okay. of the po- one co- contributed. So, but I feel like people might take this as this yeah. is the reason why. Yeah, yeah. You, have, you have to really look at the wording of articles like that. I feel like, honestly, I think this was kind of the intention. I feel like it was kind of to be like, you guys thought that he was sick with rheumatic fever? Well, no, with vitamin D deficiency. But I don't really think that's what the report is really saying. I feel that their study is more that vitamin D could have contributed to him perhaps being not as well. But... uh, I don't know. I think it's a little bit, even then, it's a little bit kind of far-stretched. Like, I could say many things. Like, back when we were in our old apartment, the windows were closed for most of the time, so that's why we got sick. Like, uh, like yeah, the blinds were closed, but I don't think that that's the reason why we got sick that one time in that apartment. And, and something that's more 
um, direct is like, for example, when we were in a house and there was mold and mold is known for causing a lot of the symptoms, but even then, that, but that's another discussion in the family. That, 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 that's not something that you'll ever... You'll never get into it. But mold is known to cause some of the symptoms that we were suffering from back in the day. So that's more of something direct, but I think vitamin D deficiency is something that might have happened for a longer course of time. And I don't think... There were still many moments in Mozart's life where he was having a normal food schedule. Probably outside time to time yeah he was traveling i don't i think that it's a little bit i don't know it's very umbrella-ish yeah, we're assuming that he's nocturnal yeah there's a lot of assumptions that will have to be made to try and make this make sense <laughs> make it make sense love make it make sense and our final theory is what i'm calling the head injury theory oh this is an, this is one that I had not yeah this is this is one that I had never heard of before, but in 1994 an article in Neurology suggests that Mozart had died of subdural he- her- hematoma, which Wait, I'm I'm already calling BS on this one, but I'll I'll explain later. I think I know where you're getting from with this, um, which is basically what this is um pooling of the blood uh, from internal bleeding and the. Basically, the pool of blood is in between the brain and the outermost layer. So yeah, it, mm, even the like, yeah, even like just the di- looking at the diagrams of wait, hold on, no, no, thank you. <laughs> even just seeing like the like the fake the, like drawn pool of blood in the head, I was just like, ooh, imagine. Ugh. God help us, literally. <laughs> Anyhow, it's supposed to be uh, bleeding between the brain. And this theory relies on the supposed skull of Mozart. In 1902, the Mozarteum in Salzburg, Austria, which is like a, it's like a Mozart museum, basically. Um, the place of his birth. Yeah, in Salzburg, which is where he was born, which I actually wanted to go to Salzburg this year, but a certain Rona decided to travel around the world. to go to Florence. We wanted to go to Salzburg. We wanted to go to Jeju Island. We wanted to do quite a few things, but then coronavirus was like, mm-mm-mm-mm. Anyhow, I'm sorry. I'm just salty. But the Mother team came into possession of what was said to be Mozart's skull. Um, you see, when somebody says said to be, I'm like, that, that, mm, I don't trust that. I think it was a grain of salt. Yes. Apparently... The skull, which is missing its lower um, jaw, the skull apparently matched a historical record indicating that Joseph Rothmeyer, a grave digger, um, had taken the skull from the mass grave that Mozart was buried in. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> first of all, this suggests that Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith, oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh wait, no. No. <laughs> no, 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 not the, not, not the, not, uh, not the Mormonism dude, um, <laughs> Joseph Rothmayer. This, this means that Roth, Freudian slip, Freudian slip, perhaps. <laughs> no, I don't. What? Smith alive during this time? No, no we're not gonna get into that. Anyhow, this means that Rothmayer had to have known where Mozart's body was, exactly. and it's a mass. Grave. Unless Mozart was still wearing, I don't know, that red coat that he's always drawn in. I'm not really, I'm not really sure. Still got, still got his, his hair intact. But like, that, that, that would have meant that there would have had to have been some sort of evidence to show that yeah, 
with some sort of identification. Yeah, or marked in some sort. And Mozart's grave was unmarked. So, I'm already calling possible BS on this skull. But apparently he takes the skull and it is brought eventually to the Mozarteum. And in the skull, um, there is a left temporal fracture and erosions in the skull. And this is... Imagine if that skull is just some random baker dude. Like, what do we do? <laughs> Maker dude, I mean, there is oftentimes Mozart is confused for other people, and we've kind of ranted about this before. Um, okay. Ooh, 18th century guy in coat and powdered hair, Mozart. Like, there was this um, moment where there was this um, um, this portrait of this man, it was supposed to be Mozart in old age, which, if you're catching on, children, <laughs> you already know that this is an issue, but well, Mozart in old age, and it's supposed to be him, like in his forties. Mm-hmm. We're looking pretty, you know, uh, corpulent. <laughs> looking pretty thick. Um, and you already know that Mozart died at thirty-five, which means he can't. There shouldn't be a portrait of him in old age, unless he survived. Um, but so that turned out to be uh, a, um, a butcher. Um, so these things, oftentimes Mozart is confused for other people. Anyhow, the um, fractures and erosions in the skull um, there raise the possibility of chronic subdural hematoma, which would be consistent with some def- with falls that he had um, experienced in 1789 and 1790. So Mozart had been dropping, <laughs> he'd been dropping on the floor, dropped down, thought he <laughs> fainted, or like dropped, like oh, oh I slipped like falls just in general um, between 1789 and 1790 which could have caused weakness headaches and fainting that Mozart experienced in 1790 and 1791 his body been through I, I know for a 35 year old his body has been through a lot um but what this is why whenever she was like, I, I wish I was in the 18th century I'm just like no you don't no, what you want is I want to bring back the fashion so I can wear it and frolic around in the fields. You can do that. I think they also want the culture, you know, like having like a ro- the royals, the nobility. I mean, imagine like you're, there's going to be a time where there's actually nobility in France. <laughs> Reminder that they've killed practically most of them. So, are, why do you assume that you would be part of the nobility in France, being, though? Not being part of the nobility, but like having that as part of the culture you know as part of the normal part of society you know or perhaps even climbing your way up into the nobility you know like all these it's super rare and you're probably not going to be able to do it unless you marry into the nobility i mean you don't know there are many ways for you to get there um i think it's more like the culture around it that interests people anyhow uh, 18th century society i don't know how well that's gonna that's gonna collapse um anyhow additionally um there was some aggressive bloodletting that had happened um, on December fourth. Um, no, 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 no! Like they were, they were bloodletting quite aggressively on December fourth, seventeen ninety one, um, which is the day before he died. Malpractice. <laughs> yes, um, which it could have worsened the brain injury, um, leading to his death the following day. Now. This is a very good theory. It has its it has its scientific evidence, and it matches a lot of the things that have had had happened to Mozart during the last few years. However, there's one glaring issue, and that is it relies 
uh, that the, on the fact that the skull in the Mozart team um in in the Mozart museum is legitimately Mozart skull, which additionally can that head injury cause all the other things that he was experiencing in his body? I mean, it's possible that it could have weakened his body, kind of like the 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 sun vitamin D deficiency. I think this has a little bit more going for it than the deficiency thing, but I agree with Cindy that it relies on like the head injury causing all of these issues later on. And this leads us to part three, exhuming the tomb. Which is our always the favorite bit. And we, in order, we, you might notice something um, with every single theory involved in, in all these five theories do not actually involve Mozart's body. It does not involve him being autopsied. No, we have like, like, bones that we could actually like exhume. It's not, and oh, even if there was an autopsy, it's not autopsy with modern science, which means there are a lot of things that they could have missed I in remember, his body. Remember, I, I heard an account about Beethoven once when they did an autopsy on him, and when they came back to look at him, like they, something was wrong yeah, with the body. Apparently, his body looked quite weird after the autopsy, so Lord knows what they were doing. <laughs> Literally, I was reading that account, and I, for some reason, I got the, the EBGBs. Honestly, I was like, what did they do to his body? <laughs> And oh, no, we, messed it up. we need to fix it. We need to fix it. Let's just stitch it back together. So yeah, um, this we don't. His body has not been found. Periodism, okay. Even in the nineteenth century, they did not exhume the tomb, of course, because there wasn't really any grave to go off of. There, are, of course, many people that were buried after him. Um, and could be crowding the space that he's in, which means that there's a bit. You know, he could have been thrown out and moved. Yeah, like there are many things that could have happened, and this brings us to perhaps we need to dig. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we listen. We have dug up bodies before, okay, and I think that we there we can take the. Um, the risk of trying to look through the body. But that means that we'd have to have somebody to DNA test with. And for example, with Richard III, when he his tomb was exhumed successfully, um, they used some of his living descendants, which he had quite a few of. I mean, they... <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering how. Cause <laughs> Gloria looked at me because I was making a face. As, as in, he, not directly from like his son, oh. because his son died already. But um, as in, like his, his the family members, other Plantagenets. You can go- if you look at that scoliosis. I I really don't think you could. Never mind. You just think of one person immediately. <laughs> but I mean, they they thought he had a hunchback, not scoliosis, though. But back, I mean, there's a, the the place where he was found was labeled R. There's a dude with a strange back in it. Like I, I and it's where a cathedral used I, to be. I I remember when I was when you sent the documentary because of the iconic Lord's Olivet clips, and they're like you know brushing off the dirt and just slowly goes into one direction really sharply and then to the other direction really sharply and you're like that ain't, a nor- that ain't a normal back how do, go- how do you go to battle with that lord knows any strong man strong man anyhow 
we don't um we don't have any living descendants of Moto, any known living descendants that is perhaps they are hiding um but we do have a lock of hair um (laughs) we do have a lock of hair from him um it's literally labeled as his hair and i think it was a gift you know we were from 18 that's that's what they did back then nowadays and like if you got hair in the mail first of all the post office might actually throw it out for like you know you might spread these um, that's something that you, you're gonna have to give personally. Like you're like, hey, I'm giving you this piece of my hair in a locket. Like exactly. other, otherwise, one day if I am buried in an unmarked grave, you can use this lock of hair to find my body. Like it, it's not something. If imagine like they're, they're trying to check it to make sure that there's no like cocaine or whatever, and they see a lock of hair, they're gonna be like, uh, what's that? And they're gonna throw it out. <laughs> like yeah, you, but that was something that was quite common at the time. It was like a, a you could, it was a gift that you'd. Okay. Anyhow, there is a possibility that we can test um, both the skull and possible bones that we might find from exhuming this mass grave to the hair if there's enough DNA left over. Um, because sometimes hair is kind of iffy. Like sometimes it can like it can basically just become protein, like no DNA at all. Uh, like it's just like the, the husk of the hair and not actually the, the DNA material. A shell of what it used to be, basically. But there is possibility that the hair could still be preserved, um, and there could still be DNA. And in that way, we could test it. In if there's a match, it's very unlikely that it could be just some random person, and it's very likely that it would be Mozart. And that way, we can start to uh, investigate this body and see that there might be a possibility of it legitimately, legitimately being Mozart, and maybe finding out what could have legitimately killed him. So, do you really think that we would find that much? information from the state that his body might be in that is the question <laughs> that is the issue that it, we don't really know what state his body is in right now he who knows he, it could be in good condition it could be in bad condition it ultimately depends on um like posthumous ultimately they're always posthumous what am i talking about <laughs> uh, <all the laughs> contemporary eyewitnesses anyhow um autopsies um, on these bodies that are like 100 years old plus, oftentimes it depends on how well the body was um, preserved. Like there was this um, um, uh, a Lady D or Lady Di, I think um, it was this Chinese mummy. Not Lady Diana, no, no. Um, But but, um, she was a, um, I think a um, Chinese noble nobility person and um her body was extremely well preserved like apparently when the people had found her body it almost looked like she was still like sleeping her body has deteriorated over the years of course because they took it out of her perfect state but apparently she was like she was looking plump this ruined her but her apparently her her skin was looking plump now god has to do more work if she gets raptured <laughs> but like apparently her skin was like in perfect condition and her body was in perfect condition to the point that they could actually find out what she had, what was her last meal from her stomach so yeah it's it, and then some other bodies are like deteriorated so um it depends on how well his body is preserved and if we can even find his body but i think it's good to take the risk i mean it's mozart it's one of the most iconic composers of all time yeah. 
could we lose? Okay, if we lose anything, it just adds to, to his intrigue. If we gain anything, it adds to the hype. We can't lose anything from this. Like, I think that it would be good, but at the same time, do you think it might disappoint people? What do you mean? Because, like, there's no more, like, things to theorize anymore. It's, it's a definitive answer. Like, for example, when the, there was a the whole thing about, you know, Anastasia being lost, and then we found her body, and then we were like, oh. <laughs> everybody, everybody was a like, big disappointment because there had been so many um, Anastasia imposters. Princess- and some of them, for some people, seemed really convincing. Um, I'd want to call her princess. I'm pretty sure it's Grand Duchess Anastasia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there had been so many of these imposters that it kind of it made people interested. Like, Perhaps she's still alive, you know? And you know now it's confirmed that she's dead. And it kind of removes the intrigue, you know? Like, it doesn't... Mm. It makes people sad. Like, there's no more of the, like, the Ronov mystery, you know? Perhaps there are 55 grandchildren running around from Anastasia that we don't know of, you know? And also, I think in, in Mozart's case, it's like, what if it turns out to be just a basic disease? <laughs> yeah, and just like, oh, we theorize all that for nothing. But I think, honestly, it would be a good idea to exhume the tomb. What do you think are the... What do you think are the pros for this? I think that it's going to be a... A closing chapter for him but i think the cons might be like what cindy said might just be some random disease and we did all it could be like really expensive and then we just find out that oh yeah he oh yeah he died of just sickness um but i but i think it's it's worth the the risk it is mozart but are we are we as a society ready to conclude this chapter to conclude it's kind of like what we were talking about with the two princes like are we ready to conclude that saga i'm totally i'm totally ready for the two princes (laughs) he seems so over it like totally ready i can get this over with for mozart we need to ask can we pay the cost do we know what the cost are we counting the cost cost of what i don't think she's talking money here i think like, yeah, is society ready? Do you think it might ruin his legacy a tiny bit? I'm not sure. I think his legacy, even though, like, the whole death missiles helps, I think it kind of goes beyond that. Well, I think that's the thing about him. I think Mozart's legacy is built mostly when about his time being alive and making music. It's his music, really, that's literally everywhere. And it's not really his death that made him famous. I mean, I- same time his death definitely helped I true the main part of his death was kind of like the the drama of him being like oh no i'm writing this requiem for myself and then going to a mysterious death so like it's, I, it's the mystery that really helped but i also think more than the mystery it's kind of just like how, what a dramatic conclusion but if the dramatic conclusion is it was a throat infection it's kind of just like oh <laughs> i don't know Mm. Well, what if we do find his body and yet it's still inconclusive that's <gasps> even better that's fantastic i think that kind of makes it like there's something perhaps that would actually feed the the theory that masons had killed him suspiciously oh, th- yeah, yeah 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 that's <laughs> loki is the one that we like yeah but that could actually because there was a theory that the masons had killed him because he, he was he was threatening to release secrets about what he was the deets like the secrets that they were hiding and he's just like i know you well, i will show them the secret keys and apparently some people think that he hid some like secrets in the magic flute and you have to decode them 
So that they were they 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 were worried and they made him die suspiciously, perhaps by spiritual means. And I think if if the the results became inconclusive, I think they could actually feed his legacy even more. I think that would actually be a good idea. But how do we know if it's really going to be inconclusive, though? Yeah, because if if they add more details, but it doesn't add details to a specific cause, right? That's true. And I do think that all the theories that we do have so far, even the ones that are kind of like historically accurate match some symptoms but not all symptoms Mm -hmm. so there could be kind of a chance for the bones to be like you're more details but i don't know chief so perhaps we don't know we don't know i think it's very interesting in mozart's case then because because we still even if we do find the answer there's still that question like is is it going to put a damper on which honestly if you ask me personally i don't think especially now uh, you be hearing his music and car commercials i don't i really don't think it's gonna like wipe him out suddenly all the car commercials are like dang i don't want to play his music anymore (laughs) i i I severely doubt that but i think it would be kind of difficult for people to close that saga true so let's conclude should should we actually exhume the tomb or should we leave the saga to continue on as a mystery let's do a direct vote like they do in some villages in switzerland Lift your hand. No, I would say yes. I would be for exhuming the tomb because I feel like even if it does become inconclusive or it does give us a very simple answer, I think it's something. Why miss the opportunity? It's better to do it sooner than 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 later. Perhaps it. Yeah, perhaps his body will not be there if we continue waiting. And then we'll never know, and we'll be kind of sad. Abby, what is your opinion? I think my opinion is, yes, we should exhume the tomb. Because I do think that his intrigue can still be a thing. I mean, you can talk about, you know, the requiem in and of itself. You know, kind of the dramatic ending of the last the last bars of what he wrote. And then he slept, kind of thing. So you, you can still... He's still interesting. Even if we find out, like, you know, what killed him. I I think so as well. I think he has an, enough staying power to stay relevant in our culture. I mean, he was basically a pop star of his time. I I still think he'll have staying power. I think sure people will probably be like, uh, it was just a throat infection. Oh, sad. But I think people will move over and it will still be bopping to. I mean, the Salieri theory was disproved, and that didn't stop anybody. Yeah, it's, it's people still people still love the story. Yeah, people still make um, Salieri killed Mozart plays. But it wouldn't, wouldn't you say that's hard because that's a bad reputation that was put on somebody and it's kind of hard to shake off a bad... Yeah, but at the same time, even when people know that Salieri didn't do it, it still doesn't take away from the intrigue of seeing that put on 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 on, on the big screen, for example. Like when I was watching Amadeus, oof. Um, like, I knew full well that the, a lot of the things were inaccurate yet it's still you're still being able to be engaged in it so i still i find that there's a possibility that there will be intrigue and i think if if mozart's staying power has lasted for 200 years plus then like i don't think finding out about his bones will damper that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and final question thoughts on that amadeus movie <laughs> Uh, uh, good in storytelling 
annoying if you know the real story, you know? I think I feel that the cinematography is great, the, the soundtrack selections are great, and the writing and pacing is pretty good. The, the costumes can be a little bit mm, hit or miss. Hit or miss. But then again, the budget was not the highest, so I'll I'll give them I'll, I'll give them a pass for that one. But I think I think it's a pretty good film, despite my sort of sour feelings towards how it kind of continues. Salieri, not good. Mozart, good, but kind of disgusting. Like I don't know. I like I just I just like that. But I think it's a good film. Yeah, I would re- I, I would recommend it actually. Well, that concludes a, a very interesting. Exhume the Tomb episode. I'm glad that we're able to do Mozart and hopefully the next ones will be just as intriguing because I think there are a lot of historical figures out there that's like, what on earth happened to you? And 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 I'm also happy that we're able to do episodes back to back and hopefully perhaps we might even do an episode um, tomorrow. So I'm still, we might, listen, we might do that Da Vinci talk because I really want to talk about, yeah, anyway... (laughs) I guess this 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 podcast is looking becoming. Let's talk about historical figures. Yeah, I mean it's 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 very interesting. Oh, should I tell him? What? No, no. Now is not the time. She wanted to tell something, but now is not the time. Um, unfortunately, soon, Abby, soon. I'll explain later. Perhaps in our one hundredth episode, perhaps uh, we'll explain. Anyhow, yeah, I'm supposed to. Sorry, I'm supposed to conclude. Um, so yeah, that was Exhume the Two Mozart edition. Uh, this has been the Three Masons podcast. I was your occasional host, Cindy, and I am signing out. Goodbye and have a nice day. Bye. Say bye, Abby. Bye bye.